Well, hey, that's right. You guys guessed right. We are on chapter 5 on the issue of personal Bible study. That's right. Personal Bible studies. We saw last week. It's personal. That means it's really between you and God and not somebody else's study. Uh, it's something that you are doing as a way of life. Uh, hence the word personal. And we saw the first question there. Why should I study the Bible? Okay, they're on uh, page 55, just to recap a little bit, very quickly. Why should I study the Bible? Hey, great answer, uh, great question, Kay. Uh, because that's the only book, and it is the only book on the planet, that can unbrainwash us from the brainwashing we receive from this world. Number two, it's for our spiritual growth, page 56, our spiritual maturity, and our spiritual effectiveness. Gee whiz, if it wasn't just good for one thing, it's good for four, and dare I say, probably a whole lot more. And then, we left off last time, uh, uh, the issue of how do I get started? On page 57 there in your workbook, and I really like that one because oftentimes we shoot ourselves in the foot, and we have these great intentions and these great goals, but we just mm, just don't get around to it because we set these unrealistic goals, or we're just kind of willy-nilly about it when it comes to our approach to the Bible, like this guy, okay? There was this businessman who was in a great deal of trouble. That's right, Tom. His business was failing, and he put everything he had into this business. And as a last resort, he went to a priest, and he poured out his story of tears and woe. And when he had finished his tearful story, the priest said this, Hey, here's what I want you to do. You put a Bible in your car, you drive down to the beach, okay? Then you take the Bible to the water's edge there at the beach, and you sit down, uh, uh, and you put the Bible on your lap. And then you open up the Bible and you let the wind just rifle the pages, okay? And when the pages come at rest, look down and read the first thing you see and this will be your answer and that will tell you what to do. Yeah. Well, a year later, the businessman, he shows back up to the priest and this time he brought his wife and his children with him. The man, though, he was in a new custom-tailored suit. His wife had a mink coat on. The children, they were shining. And the businessman, he wanted to just thank the priest for his great advice. And the priest, he recognized the guy, but he was amazed at the change. So he curiously asked him, you did what I suggested? And the businessman said, absolutely. You went to the beach? Absolutely, he said. And you let the wind blow through the pages in the Bible until they stopped? And he said, absolutely. He said, and what were the first words you saw? Chapter 11. (laughs) That's right, a businessman in trouble. Financial problems. (laughs) Now, that's not how we approach the Bible. We don't just willy-nilly about it. And unless we get disciplined, and that's our study, okay, uh, we're just going to just do that, and it's just going to fall through the cracks. And next thing you know, it's six months later, a year later, and you're you're back to your New New Year's resolution. Boy, I'm really going to study the Bible this year. Okay? And that's what I appreciate about that question, how uh, do I get uh, started, was the whole point uh, that we saw there. Okay? And then that's what we uh, talked about last time is we need to start with a prayer of illumination ask god hello what a concept to get involved to uh, open his scripture that he himself authored uh, to us number two we need to work on observation 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 what in the world do i see page 58 the top there read repeatedly that's right jenna read repeatedly (laughs) marry yourself funny read repeatedly was the whole point because repetition increases remembrance and it helps us to grab the context of what's going on okay we need to ask uh, preliminary questions i thought about this and i forgot to mention it last time everybody seems to like these uh, detective shows those crime scenes csi this csi that hey why don't we do a csi in the bible man and get that kind of studious and, oh, what's going on here? We've got to figure out, whoa, you know. And I think that's what we're missing spiritually in the church. But anyway, that was for last time. Uh, we need to ask preliminary questions. We saw with that. We need to outline the book. And this is where we left off. We need to study the paragraphs. That's right. Here's what it says. After outlining the book, 
the next step there at the bottom, page 58, is to study the book paragraph by paragraph. The main unit, that's your blanks there, of thought in the Bible is the paragraph. In each paragraph, the author has a central idea, the subject, and is saying something about that central idea, the complement. And as we observe, uh, we should notice and record what things are emphasized, what things are repeated. That's where we left off last time. God is not just love. God is not just just. But for some reason, the only attribute that's mentioned repeated three times in a row, he is holy, he is holy, he is holy. That's the general rule in interpretation, reading the Bible, that gee whiz, God's trying to get a message across. All of his words are important. But man, if you see something in the scripture that's repeated... Pay attention, that's really important, okay? And then, this is kind of where we left off. Not just what things are to be emphasized, what things are repeated, but what things are related and what things are alike. Now, let me give you an example of how you can get much more. And remember, the whole time we saw last time was just that. It's the key word, time. If you got this mentality of the 60-second devotion and the 60-second Bible or the 9.34-second verse, whatever you're doing, you're not going to have the time to do that CSI mentality when it comes to digging out the Scripture, all that we can glean from that, okay? It takes time. So give yourself time. Be disciplined with your time. Well, I just ain't got time. We'll get up earlier. Well, I'm too tired. We'll go to bed earlier, Right? Pull out all excuses. Hey, listen, if you wanted to get up early for that, uh, or you wanted to go on that fishing trip and you had to get up at four, you wouldn't, nobody had to beat you to get to bed at a decent time, would they? It's what you want to do in life means what's most important. So, so as if God doesn't know the games that we play, okay, be disciplined, okay, and give yourself sufficient time so you can get the maximized amount of benefit out of it. Okay, let me give you an example. Matthew chapter six. We've talked about this before. I want, I want you to take a look at it though. Okay. Since we're studying the Bible, what a concept, Orson. Turn to the Bible as we study the Bible. But uh, Matthew chapter 6, and uh, let's take a look there. And I want to show you. Now, remember what was the point? We need to ask. We need to study what's going on here. We need to ask not just what's emphasized, what's repeated, but what things are related, what things are alike. Okay, and it brings out uh, some interesting things. Now, the passage we're talking about is the classic one, Matthew 6, verse 25, is where we're going to start. Do not worry. Don't worry. We're on the passage on don't worry, okay? For those you're worrying about it, that's where we're at. So, but uh, isn't that awesome? We saw last time you got divine permission from God, don't worry. Now, here's what I want uh, to bring out in this passage. Therefore, I tell you, Jesus speaking, by the way, uh, do not worry about your life, what you're going to eat or drink, what about your body, what you're going to wear. Is not your life more important than food and the body more important than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They don't, sow, uh, 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 they don't sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life? And, and why are you worrying about your clothes? Look at how the lilies of the field grow. They don't labor or spin, yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that's how God clothes the grass of the field, come on, which is here today and is thrown to the fire tomorrow, it was for fuel. Will not much more, how much will he not much more clothe you, oh, you of little faith? So don't worry. Say, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For the pagans ran after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows what you need, okay? That you need them. But here's what you do. This is what I like uh, about this passage, is Jesus gives us practical instructions, okay? He didn't just say, don't worry, and sit there and stare at the wall. He tells you something to do in place of that. And what is the to-do? But seek first his kingdom, God's kingdom, and his righteousness, and what? 
All these things, what you're going to eat, drink, or wear, will be given to you as well. I love this. Therefore, don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day, have you learned this one? Has enough trouble of its own. Well, I go back in the past and, and the future and, and drudge up all this stuff, and you got enough for one day. Don't do that. You just seek first God, his kingdom, his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Now, the whole point is this, is what's related, what's alike. Now flip over to Philippians 4. Philippians 4. How would you pronounce that if you were hooked on phonics? Pahilai, Pians, or something like that. You know what I'm saying? That's right. Anyway, stalled enough time. That's right. Philippians chapter 4. Let's take a look at the text here. And uh, Paul uses another word. And uh, it's called anxiety. Anybody ever get anxious? Okay. Let's take a look here. uh, What Paul has to say. He says, uh, verse uh, 6 in Philippians chapter 4, Do not be anxious about most things in life. No, anything. There it is again, anything. Okay? Do not be anxious about anything, but what do you do? Again, he didn't say, don't be anxious about anything, just stare at that wall and prove how spiritual you are. No. He gives you, again, some action items, doesn't he? He says, do not be anxious about anything, but what do you do, Christian? In most things, in those things that you cannot handle... And those things that you haven't figured out and pulled up by your own bootstraps, knowing everything. You got a concern? In everything. By what? Prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Now, worry, anxiety is not just uh, uh, similar terms. If you do your homework, what's related, what's alike, it's the exact same Greek word. It's merimanao. It's just, you could literally, in, in, when Jesus says, don't worry, you can put, don't be anxious. Over here with Paul, when it says, don't be anxious, you can put, do not worry, once again. All right? Why? So, so here's my whole point in saying that. What's related, what's alike? And what you see here is the Bible, you can do these great studies, and you, you do these parallel studies, and what happens is it starts to open up the fuller picture of what we need to do when we're tempted to, in this case of the study, when we get worryful or anxious or filled with anxiety. Number one, you put these, just these two passages together. You don't stare at the wall. The Bible says, I can't worry. I can't be anxious. No. In the meantime, exchange that for, seek, for, put it all together. You just seek first God's kingdom and his righteousness. Pray to God. Thank him for it. And get busy about your day. Do you see how you, when you put them together, not just one of those, but what's related, what's alike. And you get much more out of it. But if you're going to do that, what are you going to take? Time. You have to give yourself time. And this micromanagement stuff of the Bible just drives me personally up the wall. Because again, what is the use? And you wonder why nobody gets out. Well, I just don't get much out of it. And then you quit. Well, yeah. You set yourself up for failure. Okay. Not only that, at the top of page 59, what things are unlike? What things are true to life? In addition, notice thoughts that are associated with and. So that means it's going to connect what you're reading with something else. Okay. Thoughts that are contrasted. But, okay. So then you got a contrast going on. And I would add this one. This is the general rule when it comes to uh, Bible interpretation. Therefore. Okay? Now, the basic uh, uh, analogy is this. That when you see therefore in the scripture, stop and ask yourself the question, what is it therefore? Okay, is the issue. Now, let me give you an example. Once again, Romans chapter 12. Turn there this time. Romans chapter 12. And this is a classic example of why you got to take the time. It's like, oh no, I got to hurry because I got to read 15 chapters a day. And, and I got to keep, I got to finish the book of Romans. I can't stop and ask what therefore is therefore. No. Take your time 
And I'm telling you, you're going to get much more out of it. Don't set yourself up for failure. Romans chapter 12, and this is one of the cases where you get that. Verse 1, therefore, stop. Before you read, ask yourself, force yourself, okay, what is therefore, therefore? That tells you that is, is a concluding remark leading up to something you just read. And believe it or not, that something starts way back in chapter 1. If you want to get the full flavor of what you're about to read in the next two verses in Romans 12, go back and grab the context of chapter 1. That's why it's a good advice when he says to read repeatedly a book over and over again because you get the full flavor of it. If you can Okay, Romans chapter 1, Paul is basically saying, hey, we are doomed. We are all under the wrath of God. Chapter 2, because of the wickedness, and God's given us over to a depraved mind again and again because we keep turning away from him, doing our own rotten stuff. That's America right there. That'll preach. Okay, number 2, he says, oh, by the way, Jewish people, you who think that's because you got the law, you don't even obey it yourself. And so he's basically sitting in Romans chapter 3, he says, so that's the conclusion. All of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There is no one righteous, no, not one. We are doomed. We are doomed doomed we are doomed headed under the wrath of god headed to hell then he gets to chapter four and abraham says but hey here's the good news praise god we're justified by faith abraham was the prime example it's not because of your behavior because we've all sinned nobody's perfect we can't get there by our behavior but we're justified by faith in jesus christ chapter five is what he's leading up to the second adam the adam jesus christ just as the first adam blew it you might think it's not, oh, here's one. You might think it's not just, it's not, hey, that ain't right. Uh, because Adam's sin, that I'm held accountable for that and I'm born with this sin. That it's not right. Flip it around. Is it right that Jesus took upon himself all of our sin, the whole sin of the whole world, our sin, and he never sinned? Flip it around. Praise God for the second Adam, amen? Okay, and that's what he says. And then in chapter 6, he says, so that's your choice. Now, you get it every day. Now you get an option. You're involved with the Holy Spirit. So every day you get out of bed, you, get, you can be an instrument of wickedness or you can be an instrument of righteousness, which leads up to that struggle Paul's talking about. In, in chapter 7, there are all the things I don't want to do, I do, and the things I want to do. Ah, who's going to rescue me from this body of death? Praise God. Chapter 8 comes on, and he says it's through Jesus Christ. By learning to walk and live and keep in step with the Spirit, yay, it's awesome. Oh, and by the way, chapters 9, 10, and 11, uh, don't get a big giant head because uh, you Gentiles who got grafted in, don't sit there and say that he's done with the Jews because he's not. He's got some promises still yet to fulfill, okay, and they're under a temporary blindness, and you better be thankful for that because if that didn't occur, you wouldn't have been grafted in, okay? And so don't cop a big head. Therefore, in line to that, we were all doomed straight to hell, Jew, Gentile alike. God in his mercy made a way through his son, Jesus Christ. We can be justified by faith. He's given us a new way to live by means of the spirit that nothing can separate us from the love of God. And we can live a life that is holy and that is pleasing to him and bear fruit for him before we get to heaven. Therefore, in light of that, I urge you, brethren, right? Now, doesn't that change everything? In view of God's mercy. What's that? That's what we just read. To now offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual or logical act of worship. Now that adds a whole lot more than if you just went, Therefore, I urge you, brothers, and you go. You never gave yourself the time. You set yourself up for failure. You didn't, you didn't maximize the opportunity that you could have gotten from God's word because you didn't take the time. You didn't even take the time to ask the classic question, What is therefore, therefore? You see what I'm saying? 
This is getting down nuts and bolts, but I'm telling you, you will get so much more out of Bible study. You will develop a love for this thing. You will get, can I say this? You will get addicted to the Bible. Woo! That's a good addiction. Because you can't get enough of it. Because every time you open this baby up, man, God radically changes you for the better. I said it before, I'll say it again. Name one commandment in here that's bad for us. It's all for our good. This is a giant, massive book of blessings. Anybody want to be blessed by God? Get in the book of blessings, man. Get in the word of God. That's why the enemy, one of the reasons why he doesn't want us in there, okay? To sum up our observations, write down the subject, the central idea... Uh, plus what the writer is saying about the central idea, the compliment. Uh, the central idea plus the compliment equals the main theme. Uh, is your next two blanks there? The main theme of the paragraph. Now, we get to the next thing. Not just observation, observation. What do I see is, all right, what does it mean? Okay, and that's important. Very important today. And that's why we have, as we saw last time, so many denominations, so many false teachers, so many false teachings. The problem's not with the word of God. It's how people approach it. As we saw before, they do uh, what you're not supposed to do that's called eisegesis into. They read into the Bible that which is not there or what they want it to say. We'll get to that, Lord willing, in a second. Instead of exegesis, which is proper, ex, meaning ex it, go out, let the Bible speak out to us. Like it, lump it, or leave it. God is the one who made the universe. I think he can make the rules. Well, guess what? He has, and he does, and he did, okay? And uh, that's what it is. We're supposed to let the Bible conform us. Okay, and uh, here's what he says. Interpretation is a process of discovering the meaning uh, intended by the author for, listen, the original audience. Now, that's extremely important. And the significance of that meaning to them. Okay, now once you understand what he was talking to them, then you can accurately apply it to us today. Let me give you some classic examples, okay, when people do this one. Uh, because they don't take the time to accurately understand what uh, is the meaning to them culturally of that day, they'll try to bring in some wacky things to you and I uh, today. Let me give an example. How many of you guys have ever seen uh, certain Christians that walk around and say that if you're going to be a godly woman, you have to have your hair up in a bun with a head covering? Uh, more probably more popular on the Midwest, East Coast, definitely Pennsylvania. We were close to that in New York. Amish communities, they still do that. Okay? And it's based out of a, uh, a misunderstanding of a biblical text. Now, culture back then, when it talks about a woman uh, with, with a head covering, okay, needs to have this head covering issue, culturally back in that day, okay, it was an issue of, here's a, here's a hot button today, submission. <laughs> I love saying that with a microphone. Isn't that cool? It's effective. You know, saying submission. That's right. Now, back in the culture of the day, when you had your hair up like that as a woman, you were being, uh, showing your humility. And you were honoring the submission of your covering, your headship, the man, the male leadership of the home, okay, and the male leadership of the church. And, so, and that was the sign of that. That was just a cultural thing. Okay, and then what would happen is it flip it around. If you went into that environment and you had your hair down, basically you were pulling the feminist thing, right? That you were trying to usurp the authority. So that was the big thing. Now that was back then, okay? And and just now, now let's let's break it down practical, okay? Because there's still a spiritual truth that we need to pull over to us today. Remember, understand the original audience and what it meant to them. 
But that doesn't mean, well, that doesn't apply to us today. No, discover the biblical truth and bring it over to today. Right? And what people will do, they'll say, well, they, they, wore, they wore their hair up. And I, that's what we got to do. I'm not even necessarily against that. But if that's all that you have uh, as your proof for submission as a godly woman over the spiritual leader of the home and the church, okay, uh, maybe, maybe not. Does just having your hair up and having uh, wrapped around with some cloth make you a submissive, godly woman? No. Okay. So that's not the truth that's going on there. Okay. Now, is that a problem in the church today? Yes, it is. It's a major problem in the church today because of the feminist movement. We don't have time to get into that yet. Okay. And, uh, but yeah, it is. Now, listen, ladies. If that's all it was to prove to God and to the church that... Uh, uh, you had to just whip your hair up into a bun. Uh, man, I'm going to go out, and this week I'm going to go get uh, 55 packages of hot dog buns. And when you line up here on Sunday, I'm going to start putting buns all around your head with duct tape, man. We're going to have the most godly, submissive women in this. I don't care how many buns you put on your head. God knows the heart. Okay. <laughs> Wrong kind of buns, huh? You got it. Okay. But anyway, uh, is this. It's a heart issue, isn't it? So though, even though we don't necessarily need to put our hair up in the bun, that doesn't mean we can't apply it to today. The application today is, ladies, in your heart, are you being subversive to the authority over you? Because you can have your hair up in a bun, but man, you're a rebel. Do you see my point? You've got to understand, because then they, they took that literally that was meant culturally, okay, and then they say, well, the only way, you have to wear, no. Get at what was the original audience, find out what it meant to them, but don't say, well, that's just them. Find out the truth and bring it back to us today. Let me give you another example. Uh, sorry, ladies, but these are some classic ones. Uh, some churches, have you ever been, would say that it is wrong for a lady to wear makeup of any kind. Absolutely wrong. In order to produce, uh, uh, prove your godliness, you cannot wear makeup. You can't wear, because the, they take the passage, that's uh, 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 9, in case you're wondering. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 3. Uh, they were, you know, braided hair, talks about uh, braided hair, don't wear it with gold, and they have it all braided and fancy, pearls and gold and stuff like that. Okay, and so, so therefore you can't wear makeup or jewelry and all that stuff. Well, um, I'm going to quote somebody else. J. Vern McGee, you ever hear of him? Oh, he's awesome. Isn't he cool? And he, had, well, he's, he said this. I didn't, so I, I can hopefully get away with this. He said, hey, my general rule when it comes to makeup, makeup this, makeup that, he says, hey, his rule's this. Hey, if a barn needs painting, paint it. I didn't say that. He did, okay? I'm just quoting a man. <laughs> it's just common sense. Not a big deal, right? So if you don't, now here's the point. Same thing with the strapping some buns to your head, okay? Uh, if you don't wear makeup, does that mean that you're a godly woman? Maybe, maybe not, not necessarily, okay? Or if you do wear makeup, does that mean that you're not a godly woman? No, not necessarily. So let's find out what it meant to them, okay, and the, the audience then, but bring the truth. Don't say, that's just for them. Let's bring it home today, okay? Well, back then, in the day, uh, it was uh, to bring, let me bring it, I'll bring it over to you in the vernacular to today, okay? Ladies, don't come to church services with uh, revealing outfits, and thinking that you're only here as a meat market to pick up on a guy. That's what was going on. 
Okay, doesn't mean, I would say, you don't necessarily, culturally can't wear makeup. Doesn't mean that you can't necessarily wear jewelry. But if all you're doing is come to church services to draw attention to yourself, that's the principle that we need to bring today. You see the point? But because people don't take the time to interpret what was it meant to them, understand it in the correct context, even culturally, and then don't say, well, that was for them, don't have to work. No, find out what it meant, but appropriately apply it to today, okay, is the issue that's going on there, okay, uh, one's ability, let, well, let's continue on, uh, consequently, an accurate interpreter tries to recreate the meaning of the message uh, as if he himself were the writer so that he will understand the passage's significance, an accurate interpretation depends on two things, one's ability to ask interpretive questions about the text, and one's ability, listen, to research answers of these questions, Okay, again, with all due respect to those that would have the bun thing going on, I don't think somebody's done the research good enough. Okay, and again, you can go either way on it. I'm not against it, but I'm not necessarily for it. Because the issue, the principle is putting something in your hair or not having something in your hair or a hairstyle or no hairstyle doesn't necessarily make it godly or ungodly. God knows the heart. It's a heart issue. Okay, and, uh, but I think that actually when it comes to modesty in the church, men or women... I think it's completely gone to the other end of the spectrum, and we do need to talk about this. I don't know if I shared this with you guys before, but just a couple weeks ago, I was speaking with uh, uh, Katie. She's still on board with Get Life Media and doing all the administration, ordering all the financial fun stuff. And uh, her two daughters were in town. They're in college, and, and uh, they've been witnessing to this girl for quite some time, this non-Christian. I think she's a pretty hardcore atheist, if I got it right, if I remember right. And uh, they finally got her to go to a church service, and it was a... a you know, like young marriage class thing like that at this big, giant, you know, probably something about the size of essential Christian, big, giant, big thing. And, and the name of their ministry, that, you know, age group was called Vineyard, okay? And so they were excited because the girl actually agreed to go, okay? And so they took her there, and this is just a few weeks ago. They took her there, and uh, she says, you'll never believe, Pastor Billy, uh, what her response was. You know, the girls were all excited. She said she came back after looking at that and looking at how the people dressed how they acted, quote, Christians, and treating it like a meat market. She simply said, and she wasn't mean about it, she was just observing. She says, you guys are no different than us. That's a stinger, okay? Somewhere along the line, we need to get back to modesty, okay? We need to get back to these principles. Doesn't mean you, gotta, you can't wear makeup, okay? There's the barn issue. Uh, you can't wear jewelry. You gotta wear your hair up in a bun, okay? It's a hard issue, Okay, you need to do what is right and what's appropriate. And if, typically, ladies, if you have to ask if this is too much, probably is. Okay, I'm not saying you got to wear duct tape around you, you know, and you can't breathe. <gasps> I'm not, you know, whatever, but use some discretion. And same thing with guys. Guys can do the same thing, right? Come in here with your muscle t-shirts. And as you can tell, I'm trying to wear baggy clothes. I don't want to draw attention. To, yeah, whatever. <laughs> You know what I'm saying? But anyway, guys can do the same thing, okay? But anyway, so let's move on. Uh, oh, let me give you another one, okay? Because that was the thing, is to bring uh, accurately what the audience meant to them. Don't say it doesn't apply to us today. That was a cultural thing, and, but you need to understand it so you can apply it to today. Now let's flip it around, because I found that other people do the exact opposite. What they will do in the church is they'll pull the old cultural thing in the opposite direction, They'll take a passage of scripture, okay, and then they will say, well, huh, well, haven't you heard about the buns? 
Haven't you heard about the braided hair and what it really means? I think this passage, too, is also cultural. Okay? And therefore, it's, there's not a problem with uh, Christians uh, shacking up together before marriage. No. Hebrews chapter uh, 13, I believe, is the passage. Verse 4. It says, Marriage should be honored by all, and the marriage bed kept pure. For God will judge the adulterer and the sexually immoral. And uh, so therefore, marriage. Marriage, when a husband and wife uh, are under the same roof, when does that happen? Marriage. And it certainly doesn't uh, condone when husband and wife come together. That also is talking about a physical union, correct? All right. Now, then you'll have people say, well, that was, that's not applicable for today. They tried to pull the reverse cultural thing. No. That's what the Bible says. That's what it means. And if you need more proof that that's what he's talking about, turn to John chapter 4. And this is Jesus speaking. Okay? Sometimes we skip over this issue. We focus on that, uh, uh, the woman at the well, and we focus on, you know, what the water meant and springing up to a well of life. But what did Jesus do, dare I say, because he loved the woman? Okay? Here's what uh, uh, he says this. And uh, let's start with verse 15. And the woman said to him, Jesus, John chapter 4, verse 15, Sir, give me this water so I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. And he told her, go call your husband and come back. And she says, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, you're right to say that you have no husband. The fact is, you've had five husbands, and the man you are uh, now have is not your husband. What was she doing? So was Jesus condoning that? No, he spoke out against it. Why? Because he hated her? Because he was trying to bring in a cultural thing that didn't apply to... Because it was wrong. And so pay attention to that because I've seen people go the, the opposite in the spectrum. They'll take scripture, okay, and then they will uh, interpret it wrong because they'll say, well, uh, you know, that's what we got to do today because it said you got to wear your hair in a bun. And they grab it out of cultural context. Then they'll take a passage and they'll, they'll try to do the exact opposite. They say, well, that doesn't apply today because it's cultural. Have you noticed that? Now, here's why I think why, what I've learned in ministry is that. is because everybody's got a bunch of sass. Turn to somebody and say, you're sassy. You're sassy. Is what's going on, okay? Okay, now here's what the issue. Uh, it's an instructor, it's an acronym, and it stands for Stylistic Approach to Sin. Okay? Stylistic Approach to Sin. And that's what an instructor uh, would always drill to us in biblical counseling. And it says that people have a tendency, uh, what, what, what is one sin to another person isn't necessarily a draw to them. It's like for some reason, John's sin is, even though he's got the cash to do it, he just gets this kick out of taking these uh, metal slug uh, quarters, they're not even quarters, metal slugs, and he ties a string to it just so he can get free Pepsi, man. And he pulls it back out and he does it all day long. I, I'm sorry, John, I had to reveal that. You know, but for me, that's not a big deal. For you, that's a big deal. Some people, it's like, man, uh, chocolate's your big thing. You know what I'm saying? Or whatever. Or some people, they have a hard time with not lying or something. You know, whatever. But that's just it. Everybody has a, a certain stylistic approach to sin. 
There's certain things that are your big thing that may necessarily not be another person's big thing. Sometimes you'll get one or two that as you fellowship, you learn is a, is a big issue. Reminds me of the one time where the uh, three pastors got together and they decided to, you know, kind of confess their sins. And, and the first pastor said to the one guy, he says, uh, man, I just really got a, I got a problem with alcohol. Man, I just, I'm really got, I got, I got pulled into it and I'm just, I'm starting to become a drunkard and, and the other guys, two guys, pastors said, man, that's too bad. And, and then the second pastor pipes up and says, man, I, I just, man, I'm starting to have trouble with, with lust. And I just, my eyes, I can't keep control. And it's just, I just, I can't do this. It's wrong. And, and, and then they, the, those two pastors look at the third guy and says, what's your problem? He, they said, he said, man, I got a real big problem with gossip. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Everybody's got something going on is what is the issue that's going on there. Okay, now I said all that to get that. What I've learned oftentimes, now remember as the art of biblical interpretation, that which is correct, remember we're supposed to allow the Bible to speak to us. Okay, and sometimes God will convict you. Anybody reading the Bible ever come across a verse and go, oh, I didn't realize that was wrong. Now at that point, you have a choice to make. Submit to what God says. Enjoy the blessing. Because again, name one thing in the Bible that's bad for us. It's all for our good. Okay? God's trying to bless us. Okay? And, or you can resist it. Act like it's not real. Ignore it. Or sometimes people try to get spiritual about it. Now, I just read that passage. And boy, is that pretty, pretty darn clear what God is saying there. But you know what, John? I think it's cultural. And that doesn't apply to today. You know why? Because I guarantee you, most likely, it's one of their sasses. It's one of their big sins that maybe they are struggling with. And instead of responding and getting right with God, according to his word, and enjoying the blessing, they come up with these, either deny it, or they try to get spiritual, and they'll fight you on it. Because that's one of the things they need to deal with, between them and God. Okay? So you have to allow that. Because you, you're thinking, well, that's so, of course you, you let the Bible speak out to you. It's God. He's the one who makes the rules. Uh, who in the right mind would read into the scripture that which is not there? Hey, when you get convicted, you got a choice to make, don't you? Okay, and all just to avoid obedience, people will take shortcuts. They'll turn the scripture into something else. A license to sin as if we ever need a license in the first place. Hello, okay. Okay, and then, then because they don't want to admit that they're wrong, they'll build a false teaching. Or you let that one in in the church, you let another one in in the church, another one in in the church, and the church is full of sin. Because nobody's holding the standard, and the standard isn't me, it's not us, it's the word of God. And again, I say this to belabor the point, because I really think this is one of the things what the enemy has got us totally snookered on, that somehow obeying the word of God is not good for us. Everything in here is for our good. And if we come across something that we're out of bounds on, be, I, had a, I had a, my first internship, the pastor there, Pastor Bill Goddard, he always said this phrase, be obedient and be blessed. Why fight the blessing? God's trying to give us something good. Okay? But that's some of the games that I've noticed, unfortunately, people play. Ask interpretive questions is the next one there. Interpretive questions will deal with the following important elements. Defining important terms. Uh, what does that uh, writer mean by his term? Observing the context with the surrounding verses, the chapter, the book, the Bible as a whole. Uh, what did the writer discuss before this passage and after it? 
Probing uh, cultural differences. What did a having, uh, head covering mean in that culture? We already dealt with that. Discerning figurative language in the passage. Okay, uh, The Bible says that Jesus is the gate. So when we get, and that's right. That's exactly what the Bible says. Okay? So when we get to heaven, with all due respect, we're going, he's going to, the first time he raises his hands like that, we're going to see hinges right here. Because he's the gate. Hey, what are you laughing at? That's exactly what the word of God says. This is the major rub, even when it comes down to communion. It says right there, it's the body and blood of Jesus Christ. It said it right there. Well, he also said he was the door. I'm not expecting hinges to be up there. And again, I'm not, hopefully I'm not coming across sacrilegious. I'm just making a point. You have to understand the figurative language. Okay, yeah, the Bible says that Judas went and hung himself. It says it, Jenna. So that's what we should all do. It says it in the Bible. You know, a common rule for biblical interpretation, an instructor in seminar always said this one, hey, don't forget a good dose of common sense. Okay, we don't, it doesn't have to be as difficult as we oftentimes make it. Okay, we need to allow the word of God to speak to us. Now, I want to back up there, and we've talked about this before, but we're on this track, and I want you to turn and do the study yourself and give an example. It says there, uh, the second little bullet, 10 point, observing the context surrounding the verse, the chapter of the book, the Bible as a whole. Okay, you used to call them one verse Charlie's. Okay, people will build complete false teachings on a one-verse Charlie. They'll take one verse out of context and get it to say something that it was never meant if you would just take a look at the context. Classic passage, once again, James chapter 4. Go ahead and turn there. James chapter 4. If you were hooked on bad French, how you would say that? That's close. Pretty close. Good one. Jamais. It's correct answer. James chapter 4. And the passage that can be pulled out in uh, unfortunate false teaching, we've talked about this before. Let's grab it again. Here's what he says. Verse 2. Okay. Uh, Oh, here it is. Okay, yeah, verse 2 towards the bottom there. Just before verse 3. Here's what they pull out. You do not have because you do not ask God. That's right, Orson. All you got to do is ask one in faith, brother. You just got to ask God one time in faith. Don't doubt. Don't doubt that seed. You plant that seed in this ministry. You just ask God once you sow a seed to this ministry with $100. He's going to guarantee to get you a hundredfold increase. You're going to end up with... You just got to ask one time. Right there. It says right there in the Word of God. And of course, you have to act like you're from apparently Tennessee, as I was saying that, for the emphasis. Right? Right? Once again, we've done this before, but by way of example, on our topic tonight, let's do our homework. Now, let's grab the context. What causes fights and quarrel among you, church? Okay? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You want something, but you don't get it. And so what do you do? Well, I guess apparently that's God's will. I just better enjoy it. No. You kill and covet because you cannot have what you want. And so what do you do? I'm going to get my way. You quarrel and you fight. You, and here it is. You do not have because you do not ask God. Well, that's starting to change. Now it really changes. Listen. Now, here's the reason why you don't get it. Because when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with the wrong motives. That you may spend what you get on your pleasures, including that Cadillac you were hoping to get if I have just enough faith and I'll give that guy a hundred bucks. It's completely out of wrench, out of context. 
So again, that's why it's important to, once again, take the time, grab the context of what's going on there so that you don't even you pop things out of context and get something wrong again. And uh, I would say that I am just frankly amazed that so many false teachers and false teachings even continue today. But you know what? I think I'm starting to get an understanding. It's because we, the church, really don't either study our Bible or frankly know how. And again, I think we make it much harder than what it is. It's just common sense. Read it in its context, okay? And it's really not uh, too difficult. Uh, discern the figurative language there. Uh, Jesus is the door. He's not a literal door. Is there comparative language? Are there overstatements? And more of this will be dealt with later. That's right, Robert. In Bible interpretation. Uh, ask interpretive questions. After we record a list of questions dealing with those things we do not understand, we need to search for answers. Now, if you're going to search for those answers, what does that take? Time. Okay, and again, I've told you before, uh, me personally, when I come across something that pops out, I will take the time to go back into the original language because there's a reason why it's popping out. Something that's just, ah, and that's fun stuff. CSI, apply it to the Bible, see what you can get. We should always start with the Bible uh, text itself since the Bible is its best own interpreter. Man, is this important when it comes to, especially Bible prophecy books, like a book of Revelation. Okay, if only I knew... In Revelation chapter 12, what and who the dragon was. I am firmly convinced, John, that the dragon represents the economy of the United States. Because as we... Well, how about if you just keep reading? I think it's going to kind of... In fact, turn there. Romans chapter, or Revelation chapter 12. Again, this is a great exercise. Revelation chapter 12. Find the dictionary, what do you do? Anyway, all right. Let's grab the context here. As you turn there, they'll do the same thing when it comes to the uh, demonic horde. Okay, it clearly says in the context there, uh, in the trumpet judgments in Revelation, uh, that it's a, a, a it's a demonic horde. But you know they'll say, and they came up with like locusts and the wings and blood. it's an Apache helicopter. That's what it is. No, it's a demonic creature is what it is. Okay, it's not an Apache helicopter. If you grab the context there, it'll tell you. But here's a classic one. Often, you know, the Revelation, I can't touch that book because that's too difficult to understand. Not necessarily. You need to do your homework, I'll grant that. And you need to use some common sense when it comes to figurative language. And then you need to go back and get the context. 350 to 400, in the book of Revelation alone, there are 350 to 400 direct citations or allusions to the Old Testament. So if you want to understand in the proper context what is meaning in the book of Revelation, you need to go back in the Old Testament in the context that was used to understand it correctly. That's it. In fact, here's one of them at the top here. A great, verse 1, a great and wondrous sign appeared in heaven. A woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and the crown of 12 stars on her head. Well, that's it. That's the NASA program that just got shut down. It's talking about the moon and the stars. There's 12 people. How many, wasn't there 12,000 people laid off? This is a revelation. No, good try, Ruth. Uh, What's going on here uh, is if you do your homework, it's very explicit. The The phrase there, the woman with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and the crown of 12 stars is a phrase used in the Old Testament clearly to describe Israel. So the woman is Israel, defined by the text. Let's continue to read. She was pregnant and she cried out in pain as she was about to give birth. Then another sign appeared in heaven, an enormous red dragon 
with seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns on his head. I told you, John, there it is. That's how many people are on the board of the uh, NASDAQ. Uh, they're at the, the economy. And that's what it is. It's a red dragon because it's communist controlled. And that's what... Well, let's keep reading. And uh, you don't have to go that far. His tail swept a third of the stars out of the skies and flung them to the earth. And the dragon stood in front of the woman, Israel, as defined by the Bible, who was about to give birth so that he might devour her child the moment it was born. She gave birth to a son. Gee whiz, I wonder who this is speaking about. The, uh, Jesus, okay, a Jew, came from the Jewish descent. Israel, the son. She gave birth to a son, a male child, who will rule all the nations. Who's that going to... Again, reference to Jesus. With an iron scepter, again, a reference to Jesus. And her child was snatched up to God to his throne. Again, the ascension, a reference to Jesus. The woman fled into the desert to a place prepared for her by God where she might be taken care of for 1,260 days. And there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back. But he was not strong enough, the dragon, and they lost their place in heaven. And the great dragon was hurled down... uh, The ancient serpent called the devil or Satan who leads the whole world astray. He was hurled to the earth and the angel with him. Has nothing to do with the economy. It's not Russia. Keep reading. If you don't, if it's not common sense right there in the text, even when you come across figurative language and not just in Revelation, use some common sense and then if you still don't know, the Bible as he said, is the best interpreter. The Bible interprets itself. Go back and find out the original context or, like this, just keep reading. A lot of times, it just defines itself. John does the same thing in chapter 1 when he talks about the lampstands and stuff. Who's the lampstand? If only I knew what the lampstand... It's the church is. Well, how'd you get that revelation, Pastor Billy? Keep reading. It says it there later. <laughs> well, you're an amazing prophet. How'd you know? I read the Bible. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? Just do your homework as we see there. For instance, okay, sometimes a word meaning can be determined by looking at the context of how the same author used the word in different passages and books. Uh, Also look at how the word is used in other Bible books by different authors, as we just did that exercise. And the same procedure can be used in searching out an understanding of cultural practices by looking at other places and the same practices may be mentioned. Okay, let me give you another uh, quick example, uh, and then we'll uh, close for tonight. Um, also, you need to pay attention just to even sometimes with the words. Words uh, can be defined uh, by their context, okay? And just because it appears in the Bible doesn't mean you're going to get it correctly. You need to understand this uh, uh, particular context. For instance, uh, let me give you an English analogy. The word cool, Right? Now, that's one word spelled just four letters, C-O-O-L, okay? But what does it mean? Well, it depends on the context. Hey, Ron, that shirt is really cool. You know what I'm saying? I mean, that's happening right there, bro. You know what I'm saying? Hey, John, when you came in tonight, you just give me that look, man. Your attitude towards me is a little cool. I don't, what's going on there, man? You know what I'm saying? I said, whoo, man, of all times for me to forget my jacket tonight, it's kind of cool outside. Exact same word used three different ways, spelled exactly the same, but what determined the meaning of that word? The context that it's placed in. You're going to encounter the same thing. I'll give you a classic example. Is Sometimes the Bible talks the word saint. Okay? 
And, and people get all mixed up. Well, which saint is it? Is it an Old Testament saint? Is it a New Testament saint? Is it a tribulation saint? Is it a saint in the millennial kingdom? Which saint is it? Okay? And, and, and what happens is people get all messed up because, well, it says saint right there. Well, what is the context? Just like cool that it appears in because that's what determines to me. Yes, it's the exact same word. Yes, it's spelled the exact same way. But what's the context in which it is in? Because it might change the meaning if you're going to get it correctly. Okay, I close with this story and uh, for tonight. Why do we need to take the time to do what we were talking about tonight? Take the time to do the research. Take the time to ask these questions. Take the time to grab the context. Because great things can take place. This is a true story, by the way. There was a man selling uh, Bibles and he was stopped and robbed one night. And uh, he passed through a forest, uh, as he was passing through a forest in Sicily, okay, over in Europe. And the robber informed him that uh, he had to burn all his books, the Bibles. And after lighting the fire, the salesman asked if he might read aloud a brief portion from each before surrendering them to the flames. Smart guy. And so they, he gave him permission, the robber, and he started to read, first of all, Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And then he read from the Sermon on the Mount, Okay, we read one of those, do not worry about your life. And then the parable of the Good Samaritan. And finally, Paul's chapter on love in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And after each chapter, the outlaw explained, "Uh, um, that's a good book. We we won't burn that one. Give that one to me. Okay, and so as he kept reading each, you know, they're all just the same Bible, right? He kept reading. None of them were destroyed, but all were taken by the thief. Because those are good books. I don't want to burn those. But he stole them. He went ahead and stole them from the guy. Listen, true story. Apparently, some years later, the robber appeared again, but now he was an ordained minister. Reading the Bible had accomplished the miracle. How many miracles are waiting for you and I if we would be consistent in Bible study, but be faithful to take the time to allow the time to get all that's in there for us. It's a book of blessings. Don't get tricked into missing out on the miracles that can happen today. Amen? Let's pray. Well, hi, this is Billy Crone of Get Life Ministries, and I hope you were blessed with this study. But in closing, let me ask you one final question. If you were to die today, are you sure that you go to heaven and not hell? Before you answer that, let me share a couple of things that the Bible says. Did you know that the Bible says that God is holy and that we are not? And the wages of our sin or unholiness is death. In other words, we deserve to die and go straight to hell and be separated from God for all eternity. This is the great cosmic dilemma. God who is holy and we are not, how can we have a relationship with Him? The two will never mix. Now, to make matters worse, we don't even want to admit this, even though God already knows He's God. And so God out of love gave us something called the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments were not something to just memorize or stick on your wall or give the appearance of being a religious person. The Ten Commandments were God's divine x-ray, if you will, into our heart and soul to reveal this truth that we need to admit. And that is this, that God is holy and that we are not. We are disqualified for heaven. So let's take a look at that divine x-ray that God's trying to get us to realize. Uh, The the Ten Commandments, the, the ninth one says, "...you shall not bear false witness." That's lying, okay? How many guys have ever told a lie? Raise your hand, okay? Well, if you didn't raise your hand, you just did. You just told a lie because we've all done that. Well, that makes us a liar. 
The, another Ten Commandments says that you shall not steal. Don't ever take anything without permission. How many of you guys uh, have ever done that? Well, you guys already said you're a bunch of liars. All of our hands should have went up on that one. And for being honest, God already knows. Folks, we've all taken something. We've stolen something, right? That makes us a thief. Another Ten Commandments says that you shall not use the Lord's name in vain. He's not just holy. Even his name is holy. Hey, folks, let's be honest. If you can believe it, even the name of Jesus Christ uh, has been turned into a common cuss word. Well, the Bible says that's a sin of blasphemy. Now we're a, a blasphemer. The Bible says you shall not commit adultery. And Jesus said, here's his standard. Uh, even if you look at another person with lust in your eye, you committed adultery in your heart. Wow, so now we're an adulterer. The Bible says you shall not murder. And you might think, well, hey, at least I haven't done that one. Really? Again, the Bible says that the sin of hatred, wishing somebody was dead, okay, that, that's the same thing. Uh, it's akin to the sin of murder. It's just you pulled the trigger in your heart, but God sees the heart. Hey, folks, that's just five out of ten. How are you doing? You still think you're going to get to heaven on your own? You still think that you're qualified, that you're holy like God, and you could bridge the gap and have a relationship with Him forever? I don't think so. I mean, what did we just see? You're going to stand before God, and so am I. We all are. And we're going to have to give an account for who we are. Hey, hey, God, let me in. Uh, I, I'm, a, I'm a liar. I'm a thief, I'm a blasphemer, I'm an adulterer, I'm a murderer. And the scripture is very clear, folks. Such people as these will not inherit the kingdom of God. We're in trouble. But folks, here's the good news. The Bible says that if we would just admit that, that's the first step, to admit that God is holy, that I'm not, I'm disqualified for heaven, I need a Savior. If we would admit that and then ask for the Savior to save us. That, that's what God was doing with Jesus. God gave us His Son, Jesus Christ. He took the death penalty in our place so that we could be completely forgiven of everything we've ever done and be made holy through Jesus so that we can now have a relationship with God both here and now and forever in heaven. We can become qualified. The word that the Bible uses is a word called pardon, that God is willing to pardon us of all of our sins and crimes that we've committed against him and disqualified us that disqualified us for heaven right and we've actually seen this work in real life uh, for instance uh, there's been people who have committed crimes gone to court the gavel's been passed the judges said hey listen we all know you're guilty uh, you even admit you're guilty and uh, for your crimes you're going to not just jail you're going to uh, await in jail to go to the death penalty and did you know that there actually is a way that somebody could get off of death row, it's called a pardon. The one in the authority, the governor, can grant what's called a pardon for that person's crimes, and they literally can go free. Not because of something they did, because the deeds are already done, you can't undo it. Not because of they tried to clean up their act while they were stuck in the jail cell, because that doesn't change anything. But simply out of mercy, the person who has the authority can give them a pardon, and they can go free. And did you know it's actually on historical record that there have been people who have been granted a pardon from the death penalty and they've refused to take it. And so even though the offer was there to be set free, they themselves still had to go to the death penalty. Folks, in a nutshell, that's what God's doing every single day with all of us this side of heaven. While you still have breath, you still have an opportunity to receive God's pardon. He's willing to forgive you of all your sins if you would just receive His pardon through Jesus Christ. 
Again, that's what he was doing on the cross. The cross was the death penalty of the day. But since we weren't there, and since we can't earn it, it's a gift from God, you have to receive that by faith. Reach out even today from your own spiritual jail cell, if you will, and say yes to Jesus and God's pardon so that you can be set free and go to heaven. The Bible says that if you will confess Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the grave, you will be saved. Hey, folks, if that's you, don't delay. You may not even have tomorrow. Today could be your last day. Please accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Confess with your mouth He is the Lord. Believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the grave. And the Bible says you will be saved. Well, this has been Billy Crone of Gill Life Ministries. If there's anything that we could do for you, our information and, and number will come up here shortly. And please don't hesitate to contact us. But remember, I hope to see you in heaven. God bless.